This is Channel 253. Move to Tacoma. On this episode of Move to Tacoma. The system that we live in now, we've inherited. Um, it includes the impacts of redlining. Yeah. Uh, it includes a lot of systemic racism elements. Yep. And without – that has to be changed if we're really going to be make space for everyone in our community. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. We're back. I'm Marguerite, and I want you to move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. You'll like it. Move to Tacoma. Move to Tacoma. I'm Marguerite, and this is Move to Tacoma, and I'm here today with Rob Huff. Welcome, Rob. It's good to be here. Yeah, and you've you've been here before. We we did this like six years ago. It's been a while, yeah. It's been a while. So Rob is a longtime Tacoman and the uh, communications director over at MDC. Mm-hmm. And what is MDC? Metropolitan Development Council. Which is not what it sounds like. What do they actually do? Yeah, so we work with folks who have uh, challenges in their lives like addictions, uh, mental health challenges, as well as provide uh, over 200 units of housing for people who were previously homeless. Uh, And we do direct services for people who are homeless through something called our care management program. Awesome. So when you came on in a past uh, episode, we'll link to it in the the show notes, we talked about homelessness in Tacoma. But that was six years ago. So much has changed. Yeah, like everything has changed. And that's not the total reason I'm having you on. You're also (laughs) – it's hard for me to even speak of this, Rob. (laughs) You are running – Every street in Tacoma. And Rob goes for, like, a casual 10-mile run on an afternoon. So, like, can you talk about running uh, – why would you run every street in Tacoma? What is this journey you're on? So there's a story. Okay. Um, so this started uh, – there was a, a guy named Ricky Gates who in 2018 ran every street in San Francisco. Oh, oh my gosh. And Must have been very steep. Yeah, lots of hills. <laughs> uh, it It's even more hilly than Tacoma. Um and I saw a few people, including a friend, an uh, online friend of mine from Olympia who did the same thing in mm. Olympia in 2018, probably wrapped up in early 2019. And I thought, hmm, it might be kind of interesting to do the same thing here in Tacoma. So it was on January 28th of 2019 that I started running these crazy, crazy uh, checkerboard routes around Tacoma, gradually filling in the map. Okay, so when you go for a run, I mean, I, I joked about you going for the casual ten mile run, but like, what do you, what is your usual run? Uh, so I I run a lot. Um, I run a couple thousand miles a year, a little bit more than that, and uh, and typically I run three miles a day. Oh, uh, that's, so I that's run very reasonable. Day. That's three miles. But to do two thousand miles in a year, you're actually averaging more like. Six or seven miles per okay. day, so there's That's longer wild. there's longer line runs in there, <laughs> and um, so I've I've yet to do an actual calendar year where I didn't miss a day. Oh. Last year I missed one day. Oh man! Um, because I was traveling to Leavenworth and got truck and stuck in traffic, and yeah, yeah, not but, your fault. Yeah. Anyway, 
I'm still still bothered by it. But, <laughs> Clearly. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I, I run quite a bit, uh, found it, helped co-found a group here in Tacoma called Tacoma Runners. Yes. That started in 2010, and we still continue to run now, even though during COVID, we have not been running from bars. So we did an episode of TryTacoma.tv where we went running with you we and did. showed kind of how that process goes. We'll drop that in the show notes as well. But how has the process of running with Tacoma Runners changed since COVID? Like, where do you meet up? How often do you meet up? Do you meet up? How does it work? Yeah, so we ended up uh, taking a break from March 12th of 2020. That was when everything mm-hmm. suddenly shut down to roughly July of 2021. So um, we managed to do some remote style events during the time that that was happening, but not running together. Yeah. And then now what we did is since July of 2021, we're running every Thursday night from a different park. So we have yet to return to our normal, which the normal situation was we'd have somewhere between 75 and 100 people get together and run from a Tacoma bar. Mm-hmm. Every Thursday night. We and then have beers after. Uh, yeah. And we haven't been able to do that yet. So we'll see when that restarts. And if somebody wants to figure out what park you're meeting at this Thursday, they just go to Facebook? Is that? Uh, so, yeah, they can go to Facebook. Uh, they can join. We have a, we've made our group private on Facebook, oh. but they can join the group on Facebook and they'll get the invites to every week's run that way. Uh, well, we're gonna we're gonna talk some more about running every street in Tacoma. But for anybody who's curious, if you want to hang out with Rob, Tacoma Runners on Facebook, try to join try to join the group. Yep. All right. Okay. So you're you're running out the door. Sometimes three miles. Sometimes six miles. Yep. Probably sometimes more. And you're how do you select where to begin when you're creating this map? Where is it haphazard? Was it strategic? It took a little bit of. So when I first started out, I liked doing liked to do each run from my house. So I live in the North Slope. (laughs) Yeah. And I was stubborn about this. So Mm. uh, I got to the point where I was running all the way from the North Slope over to, say, the TCC campus or the east side of Tacoma in order to start then running a grid of streets. And that's five, six miles? Uh, So the east side of Tacoma is about, you know, Lincoln High School is three miles from my house. So that's not unbearable, but that means it's six extra miles yep. going there and back. Yep. Um, same thing with TCC. So essentially that's kind of the range. Yeah. Um, so for the first year in 20, 2019, I was doing a lot of runs from home mm-hmm. to the runs. Then uh, in 2020, um, things became more difficult with COVID and I for many months, just didn't do any every streets runs. Yeah. Uh, and just running close to home. Just close to home. Occasionally, I ran some of the most scenic portions of Tacoma down in the Nally Valley mm. <laughs> and places like around the Costco. Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, so ran industrial Tacoma okay. kind of during COVID. Very diplomatic. Uh, yeah. Um, and then late 2020 and then through 2021, Started transitioning to the point where I'd have to drive, find a place to park mm-hmm. my car, hope that the catalytic converter wouldn't get stolen while I'm out running eight or ten or twelve miles. Mm. Of course, that happened in front of my house, not out. As there. these things go, yeah, nowhere um, safe. Yeah, <laughs> um, and yeah, I just would drive to a different location and then kind of built a grid of uh, the city. Uh, running every block. Sometimes awesome. it would be out and back on a block. Um, 
parts, some parts of the city you could run, you know, up and down a couple, like four or five streets one way and then four or five streets the other way and it made a nice little grid. But that's not the case in most of Tacoma. Mostly it's twisty. Yeah. yeah. And hilly. Hilly. Okay. So I'm just going to ask some like rapid fire questions, sure. Rob. Okay. So prettiest run so far. What is the prettiest stretch you've done so far in Tacoma? Wow. Um, the views are great from portions of northeast Tacoma. So oh. if if you, you are mean drive past the port, uh, yeah, Marineview Drive. That's, that's okay. the worst. The worst part about running in Northeast Tacoma is getting is there. Getting there if you don't live there. You're right. Okay. So yeah. where did you run in Northeast Tacoma that was so amazing? Uh, boy, I'm trying to remember the names of the streets. There are some streets on the hillside. You can see them from Ruston Way if you uh-huh. look over. They kind of stair step down the hill and yeah. face to the west. Okay. So you see from there, you see kind of. You can see Point Ruston in the distance, but you see Vashon Island. Oh, yeah. You see the Olympic Mountains. And that's not our usual view. That's really special. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's areas in the west end of Tacoma that have that, too. That um, crazy sunset view. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's actually one of the areas that has the most gated communities where those were, those were areas where I couldn't run. So you, oh, you didn't like. I didn't hop the fence. <sighs> I thought this was going to be, like, really hardcore. <laughs> okay. So, all right. So there were some some neighborhoods that were excluded to you. Yes. I don't think, you know, it's funny because, like, you know, I talk about real estate and neighborhoods in Tacoma right. with people all day, every day. And I forget there are actually a few places in Tacoma that have gated neighborhoods. I think even in Ruston or in Old Town, there's, like, one gated community. There is. And I yeah. didn't, didn't run that either. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting. Well, for those of you that live in gated communities, <laughs> you didn't get Rob on Rob's map on your neighborhood. <laughs> you're happy. <laughs> All right. So best runs were Northeast Tacoma and in the West Slope. Those are your prettiest yeah, runs. Yeah. I mean, in terms of views, views. Um, this was really not a big part of the every streets bit, but mm-hmm. um, running Point Defiance oh, yeah. really was. So cause... if you run Five Mile Drive. And That's pretty pretty. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty hard to beat that. Okay. Um, there's also fantastic views in some of the areas of the east side of Tacoma. I'm thinking like McKinley Hill. Yeah. And, Stellar. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, even further south on the east side, really, where you have really nice views of Mount Rainier. Oh, so that's looking true. the other way. Yeah, that's so true. Okay, so best views: McKinley Hill on the east side, West Slope, Northeast Tacoma. What about the worst places to run in Tacoma? You've already dropped the Nally Valley. Hope, hope no <laughs> Nally Valley residents are offended. There's like probably ten people that live down there. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to be worse than running in the Tide Flats. Oh yeah. So it actually was just you a few ran weeks into ago. the into the port. Yeah. Um, I that's the one area where I have limited the number of streets I've run just because. I've run areas that have sidewalks yeah. and areas that have a little bit of a shoulder. Yeah. Um, I'm really not wanting to mix it up with the trucks. Right. Much. It's dangerous to yeah. run there. It's yeah. not designed for you. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, it was only probably about a month ago I did a run down by the sewer plant, and I, re- I referred to that route as the smelliest route in Tacoma. It did It did smell bad? Uh, yeah. Oh, where yeah. The sewer plant is in the port? I don't even so know where it is. So it's essentially down by the uh, Lincoln Avenue Bridge. Okay. Right. Sort of, uh, what is that, Portland Avenue and Lincoln Avenue intersection is where the sewer plant is. All right. Well, Rob, I'm going to take a moment to take a break so we can run a Channel 253 sponsor, and then we'll be right back. Sounds great. Hello. I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Citizen Tacoma. 
This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Microsoft. The Puget Sound region is experiencing historic growth. And while this presents a remarkable opportunity for the region, it also creates challenges. Microsoft is committed to our region and everyone in it, working in partnership with the community to improve environmental sustainability, affordable housing, efficient transportation, and high-quality education. These issues are fundamentally connected. Smart transportation systems reduce our region's carbon footprint. Affordable housing allows people to live in communities where they work. High-quality education prepares young people for great jobs and a bright future. Our region is remarkably complex and diverse. We need policy solutions that reflect it. This is all part of Microsoft's goal to empower every person and organization in Washington to achieve more. To learn more about Microsoft's work in this area, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. My thanks to Microsoft for their support of Channel 253. All right, we're back. And Rob, I am supposed to mention right now that uh, Move to Tacoma is on the Channel 253 network. Are you aware of that, Rob? I am quite aware of that. And I'm supposed to remind listeners that if you're interested in uh, being a member of the Channel 253 network, it is for, it's a $40 a year investment. And Rob, if I'm not mistaken, you are a member you of gotta, Channel 253. You've got to get on the Slack. Yeah. And that's the, okay. That's why I keep telling people like, yes, it's nice to be a member. It's nice to support local podcasting. But the real hookup is the Slack channel. So why should people care about some random Slack channel with a couple hundred Tacomans? It's just the inside scoop and great banter on all kinds of topics. So when the political stuff is happening, when there's drama in the city, that's where you go. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sharing your experience. <laughs> so back to running every street in Tacoma. When you're, I mean, when I think of running in Tacoma, not that I'm as good as running as you are, but like I think of uh, some neighborhoods where the sidewalks are maybe more uneven than others and some neighborhoods where it's like obviously running in Point Defiance is wonderful because you can run on the trails and that feels great on your feet. But what what would, as a citywide, what's the grade you would give us as a runner? Like how do we, how do we stack up as a city in terms of supporting runners? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to make that comparison because I haven't done the same kind of running in other other cities. Yeah. But, um, I mean, we clearly have room to get better. You're right. Sidewalks don't exist in a lot of places, um, especially in parts of the city that have kind of lacking infrastructure overall right. anyway. Historically yeah. underfunded. Yeah, exactly. Um so the areas like the east side, the very south end of the city, um, the area that I still need to finish is in the very f- far south end. So like mm. all the way down to South 96. OK. Yeah. Um, You're almost to Parkland. Where there's really not much in the way of sidewalks in a lot of the areas. Um, so you can see where the community, the city has invested in that infrastructure. Um, we could do better. Um, ironically enough, though, there are plenty of blocks in the north end of Tacoma that don't have sidewalks as well. And a lot of that, I think, is a historic thing. When yeah. when the development was done, it wasn't required. So. Yeah. So um, 
you know, one of the things like the city of Tacoma has that uh, health or it's the health Pierce County Health Department, Tacoma Pierce County Health Department that has the map that shows health disparities from right. neighborhood to neighborhood. There's like a 20 percent difference in lifespan from uh, the east side to the north end, something like that. Right. Like right. there there are huge differences in the ways that the neighbor the neighborhoods are supported. Did you notice that? Like when you look at maybe with some understanding of like the historically redlined parts of the city, do you see a difference in support and infrastructure from neighborhood like the neighborhood where you live to neighborhoods where you were running? Do you see yeah, that disparity? Yeah, de- definitely. You can tell a difference in the socioeconomic status of people who are living there as well as, like I said, the investment that mm. the community has made mm-hmm. in those areas. Um, there are things here and there, like you know, the Eastside Community Center of is course. a great community asset that's mm-hmm. in that part of the city. Um, Salishan was actually one of my favorite neighborhoods to run through. New planned development, relatively new. I was going to say, is it like 15 yeah. years old now? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> relatively new. If you've been in Tacoma a long time, it's newish. Well, most but, Tacoma houses are like 100 years old, so yeah, that's new. <laughs> yeah, but um, some of those areas you can see investments have been made. Yeah. But, uh, but it's also, as you run through the city, the further you get from the downtown core, mm. the more suburban and then rural yeah. Tacoma becomes. Because some of the properties that exist... Once you get, say, south of 56th Street, mm-hmm. you know, it's larger lots. For sure. Um, still small homes, so big open spaces, mm-hmm. some completely undeveloped tracts of land. Mm-hmm. Um, there's clearly room for Tacoma to grow in those areas if they weren't zoned for single-family homes only. And, you know, that's not really the topic of this podcast. I but I just want to take a moment to remind our listeners that we are short 15,000 homes in Tacoma right now. And uh, we're expecting 1.5 million more people in the Puget Sound region over the next 30 years. So, you know, I know you want your neighborhood to stay exactly the way it is, but it's going to have to change. Just, just dropping that in there. Yep. So, okay. The other nefarious reason that I wanted to have you on, Rob, is uh, not just because you ran every street in Tacoma. Almost. Not done yet. Uh, but you're, Any minute now. <laughs> uh, but the other reason is to talk about homelessness. And, you know, that was the topic that you discussed with us on the podcast six years ago. You work and you have worked for a very long time with MDC. Like, I think for a lot of us that do not work in that business. No, it's not business, but like, I mean, it kind of is like, you know, in the world of homelessness, like we think we know what's going on. We think we know the solution. It's so obvious, right? But then everybody has a different solution. And I I think right now I'm becoming very discouraged in the conversation around housing, homelessness because the rhetoric is getting so incendiary. Like just to take the temperature of the situation, like how would you describe the housing situation for the unhoused in Tacoma right now? It's tough. We have come through in the last year, um, besides the fact that we've lived through a pandemic and the accumulation of visible homelessness increased during the pandemic um, for a number of reasons. One, because more people became homeless, but also because due to uh, the guidance from the CDC, the city was not making people move from spaces that were along city streets. So there were areas where encampments built up right along the sidewalk and stayed there for 18 months. So historically, what would have happened before the pandemic? Why wouldn't we have seen you? You say visual homeless, like you're saying, like these people were here. You just couldn't see them. Why couldn't we see them? Yeah. So before that time, the city uh, a couple of things were happening. The city at one time had a public camping ban 
that actually expired in twenty nine late twenty nineteen. But that's also illegal, right? It is. Yes. Like, but, didn't the Supreme Court say that was illegal? Yeah, yeah. That's the Martin v. Boise yeah. decision. But that's not, it's not circuit. really illegal? No, it is illegal. So that, that decision, and I'm not a lawyer, but, <laughs> but that decision essentially says that a city can't make it illegal to have a place to sleep at night. So they so can't. So if they don't they have shelter beds, they can't move you or right. something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but our county right now, has roughly 3,300 people who are homeless, and we have roughly 1,200 shelter spaces. I feel like that's 10 times as many people as when you were on last time. I feel like the point and count that year was like under 400. So there's a couple of couple of things that have changed. Um, one, the conversation about what data system, what the actual number of people who are homeless is, mm-hmm. has really uh, progressed from just talking about the point in time count. Oh. And when I was on the program six years ago, the point in time count numbers were really focused on people who are chronically homeless. So people who'd been homeless for a, a year mm-hmm. or more and or who have had three episodes that equaled a year within a certain time period. Um, and that that was where that 400 number was. Mm-hmm. Um the point in time count is something that's done on a Friday at the end of January every year. It's required mm-hmm. by uh, the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And it always is an undercount or, you know, it's a best estimate of what mm-hmm. people see on that single day. And things as subtle as what the weather looks like on that particular day can really affect the numbers. Um, and this but it's is also, volunteers, like going is, into yeah. the woods, like yeah. walking on every street, like marking every person down, and yeah. like a like a census. Except it's not. They don't that take their ex- information. It's not they just that say exhaustive person. Yeah. So, um, so there's a recognition that the point in time count is an undercount. Okay. Um, and I think when I was here six years ago, we talked about how yeah. it's rough. There was always kind of this in the. In the business, if you want to call it that, that there was always this thought that it was at least two and a half times what wow. the number that comes up in the point in time count. Um, it's really difficult to count people on the one night if they're sleeping in their car or if they're in an abandoned building. Mm-hmm. Um, the number that I used, the 3,300 number, is an estimate that the county created last year in creating this new comprehensive plan to end homelessness that the county council is going to be considering uh, here in mid-March, considering approving and and uh, and moving forward with. And so that estimate uses a combination of methodologies to come up with a number, including the Homeless Management Information System, or uh, HEMIS. Okay. So. And does that include, like, I, I know when I've heard folks talking about this before, they talk about, you know, people that don't have a home that are crashing on a friend's couch— Still homeless. People that don't have a home that are sleeping in a friend's garage, still homeless. Does Are those folks counted? Like families living in cars? Like I know that there's many gradations of homelessness. Like right. who, who – where, where is the line? So when that, are you homeless? Yeah, that 3,300 number is people who are literally homeless. Like so they're either, on the street they're or either in a car. They're in a car. Um, they're in a building where it's not 
set, you know, not mm-hmm. good for human habitation. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't catch everybody who is couch surfing. Okay, so that there's actually there's beyond another, the 3,300 yeah. is another huge swath of people. Yeah, and the school districts have, work with something called the McKinney-Vento system that does capture students whose families are doing the couch surfing or living doubled up. Wow. So it's a bigger number even than that. So, Rob, why do we have so much homelessness in Tacoma? Because we don't have enough housing. What? <laughs> I thought it was because everybody's on drugs and they're being bussed in from other cities and nobody wants to work anymore. What are you telling me? <laughs> yeah, I know. I hate to, <laughs> hate to burst the bubble. Okay. But. All right. What's really going on? Housing is expensive. This is, And we don't have enough. Yeah. I mean, if you look at you, – you mentioned the number uh, of – estimated number of housing units that were short. Um, So I'm trying to remember the report I saw just a week or so ago that talked about how through the end of this year, Tacoma's projected to add 3,000 units of (laughs) apartments and other housing. Which sounds like a lot. Sounds like a lot, except for over the last year, two years, we've had more than 8,000 new residents. So those numbers don't come close to matching up. Yeah. I mean, when you're adding 10,000 people a year-ish average, I think a few years ago it was 12,000. Yeah. I mean, we are not even coming close to keeping pace. Plus, Rob, you're not going to believe this. I know this isn't you or me's thing, but like people have children. People in this county, in this city, they keep reproducing. And those people become adults that want to buy houses. The millennials, the largest generation in home buying history, they're almost 41. Yeah, I know. And they like have kids and want to buy houses yep. and want to rent houses. And I think that's I, I, I am a little sensitive to this because I have a podcast called Move to Tacoma. I've heard of it. Yeah. But like, you know, people are always like, well, maybe you should stop your podcast then. Maybe you should turn off your website. Then we wouldn't have this problem. And it's like, y'all had babies, too. Like we have we have it coming from like both ends. Yeah. Um, so I just it's a little disorienting for me as a realtor. I always feel very uncomfortable in this conversation because on one hand, we're talking about appreciation. And, you know, in 2020, home prices in Tacoma appreciated 15 percent, some neighborhoods more. Um, in last year, in 2021, it was 18 percent. And we have these like dizzying gains. And I'll see people, you know, on social media and stuff talking about this is so awesome. And like we sold our house and we bought another house and like cashing out and like doing these different things and like remodeling. And then in like the same breath, they're like, why are these people in the street? And it's disorienting for me because I feel like it it should be very obvious that when housing becomes so expensive, not everyone is going to be able to get in on it. And I don't know that everybody's making that connection. And I, I feel like the reason is because it's really sad when you make that connection. I don't I think there are people that are looking for any story that would justify sort of dehumanizing people that live on the street. Yeah. Uh, That was a little editorializing. I'm sorry, Rob. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) You you won't get much disagreement from me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, okay. So the story, the story of folks that are like there is a mix. What do we know about the 3,300 people that are living on the street or living in a car on the street right now? Yeah. I mean, it it is a real mix. Um, What we know about homelessness is that... Most people, when they become homeless, it is a very brief situation. Really? Um, But you have another population that doesn't have the same kind of support network um, and can't as easily, like, 
land back on their feet mm-hmm. and can end up in a spiral where they're stuck in homelessness for a long period of time. I would think the longer you're out there, the harder it would be to come back. Yeah, for sure. And so, I mean, since you work at MDC and part of your mission is to support people, you know, at various points in that mm-hmm. situation, like what are the interventions that actually help people find housing again? Since the market won't do it. In case anybody's wondering, like the market is not going to solve housing for people. <laughs> like yeah. we're going to have to find some other way to build housing because like the, the market won't do it. So like what interventions actually get people housed? So there are different strategies. Uh, the county puts a lot of money into something called rapid rehousing. Hmm. Um, that essentially gives people a sh- uh rental support for a short period of time and allows people to kind of figure out their job transition they need to go to go through and get their own housing on the other end in a relatively short period. The challenge with most of the interventions that exist is that there's not low-income housing yeah. for people to move into. Yes. So the, one of the really wild things in our – it's not just in our community, but you, I definitely see it in Tacoma – is that we have probably a dozen nonprofits who employ people to try to find units to move people into. They're all competing against each other mm. and competing against people moving in from other areas right. to the community. Right. And, you know, competing, unfortunately, against our efforts to resettle people who are refugees in our yeah. community. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So it's it's a little bit of a perfect storm, and we just – we're not building housing quickly enough and definitely not building it in uh, in a way that serves people who have extremely low income. Right. We don't just need affordable housing. We need, like, deeply, deeply. affordable housing. Right. I remember when I first moved to Tacoma in 2004, I had a one-bedroom apartment in Stadium, uh, and that was $550 a month. And uh, I recently saw that apartment listed for, I think, $1,800 a month. You know, and then there was like the the cheapest studio I could find when the housing market crashed. That was four sixty five, and that rents for fourteen hundred a month now. And those were like, that's not even deeply affordable at that time. You could have probably still got a studio like on the hillside going up to hill hilltop for probably like three hundred bucks, right. right? Like, and that is like if you're if you're skirting the edge, you can scrape that together, but you can't scrape together eighteen hundred dollars a month. With a side hustle, you probably can't scrape it together with a minimum wage job. And so I guess uh, – how do we solve this, Rob? What's the plan? Uh, we build a whole lot more housing. Yeah. Uh, and we do – and in the interim, in terms of addressing homelessness, because it takes time to build the housing, we, we need to do something like create safe places where people can stay, whether it's um, – well, of course, during the, during the pandemic, people – uh, logically didn't want to stay amongst a bunch of other people in a right, congregate in shelters shelter. Or, yeah. um, so it's better to be able to create solutions that are either safe and warm outside, so low barrier encampments of some kind, um, that have security and mm-hmm. garbage pickup and mm-hmm. access to showers and bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, or it, it, that's one thing on the continuum. Or you know, there's been the situation where the city of Tacoma and Pierce County and the city of Lakewood purchased an unused hotel and mm-hmm. have converted it into um, non-congregate shelter 
that over time will become housing. So in a couple of years, it'll be transitioned into actually becoming permanent supportive housing. So as a realtor, um, please handle this objection because I, I, th I think something just clicked for me because you were talking about, well, yes, we need to build, but it takes so long to build that even if we had the money right now, which we don't, um, to build a ton of housing, it would take so long to get on the market. We'd, or we'd still have all these people living in right. the street, right? So we have to at least section off a giant parking lot, put tiny homes on it, guest garbage, sanitation. But what I always see whenever I see people talking about things like tiny house villages or whatever, uh, first of all, I think that housed people's idea of what that's going to look like and feel like is always like... Different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And second, it's so freaking expensive. Like, it's millions of dollars to, I mean, it seems like, oh, it's just going to be really cheap. We're just going to, like, let people camp in this parking lot. But no, 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 no. Like, to do it in a way that's organized and where people are getting support and where there's, like, proper sanitation, like, it's actually quite expensive. And then I'm like, well, if we've got $3 million, can't we just, like, make that the down payment on a 100-unit apartment complex? Like, can't we just do it that way? And then we actually have permanent housing and then that housing appreciates? And then they can use the equity from I'm such a realtor, yeah. right? Use the equity to buy another apartment complex to house more people. Like, am I taking crazy pills over here? Like, why? But now I understand, like, OK, I understand, like interim housing. But the cost of the interim unsustainable temporary yeah. situation is so high. It is. And part of that is because um, to to make it successful, you really need to bring services to people beyond right. just saying you can use this field. Right. Um, so there's there are costs involved when you're bringing in those, you know, mental health supports, yeah. uh, substance use treatment. Uh, those kinds of things all end up carrying a price tag. Unfortunately, though, what we're seeing right now is that we're paying that price tag as a community. Yes. And folks are yes. living out there on the sidewalk. Yes, and this is this is where again, like it's just I know it's such a huge problem and we all think we understand it and there is no easy solution, but it's like the amount of money that we are spending on like these terrible band-aids. Like we could just be investing in housing our population. Yeah. And I Well, and that's why you got to cobble together a, a plan and a continuum so that you um, the housing should be built and should come along, but because it can't be an immediate situation, yeah. um, you've got to do the humane thing and find interim solutions for people so that, for one, they can survive the winter. We, mm. we just came through a period where last summer we had the heat dome and right. people died people from the died. heat. People died, yeah. Um, we, were, we dodged a bullet and didn't really have a big smoke episode last year, so we didn't have the huge health impacts from that. But then we had at least two cold spells yeah. in the last two and a half months. So, and and that's where um, so part of the work I do too is with the Tacoma Pierce County Coalition to End Homelessness, mm. and a lot of the work there has been about advocating that we take steps to make make sure people can survive those kinds of episodes, um, because we do know people freeze to death. Yeah, you know and. And unfortunately, people overheated and died that way last year. So, <sighs> Rob, I just feel like it's it's so like in order what I what I feel happening in me is when I like walk past a camp or I it used to be if I saw someone in downtown Tacoma that was like sleeping on the sidewalk, that was a jarring experience. 
Like that was that was a surprise. It was unexpected. Like to see someone camping in the woods was odd. Even 10 years ago, it was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Right. Mm -hmm. And now it is so it's everywhere. It's every neighborhood is challenged with this. And I feel like I'm losing my humanity. Like in order to go about my day, in order to keep talking to the person I'm talking with, to keep moving along on my walk, I have to just kind of put this filter up around what I'm seeing. And I'm worried. Like I know I'm not alone. I'm not the only person doing this. Like I'm losing my ability to see the crisis, to see that like people are dying in the street. And they might not be people that I want to hang out with. Like, they might be people that are having problems. They might not. Like, they might just be regular people that are having a bad experience. But, like, at the end of the day, like, these are my fellow human beings. These are my fellow Tacomans. And they're they're dying in the street. And I'm used to it. Yeah. And we're all getting used to it. And how? Do, what are the actual things we can do to to be human in this face of this? Like, I mean, from an advocacy standpoint, I mean, from a walking down the sidewalk standpoint, like, I don't know if I should ask, like, what do you do, Rob, or what do you think? Right. But, like, how do we retain our humanity in the face of this? Yeah, I think I think it helps to just ha – you have to remind yourself that the person who's going through something on the side of the road um, and finds themselves living there, um, that they are human and that um, you don't – it it can be easy to either – avert your eyes mm. or to make a judgment that makes you feel a little bit better about it. Like, yeah. okay, they must have made some sort of mistake. Mm -hmm. But that's – in too many cases, that's not the situation. Um, people have simply been priced out of their housing um, and found themselves without a support network and suddenly they're living in, a, in their car. Um, I remember – Earlier that well, late last year when the the new um, hotel was converted into shelter down in the south end of Tacoma along mm -hmm. Hosmer, mm -hmm. um, there was a public meeting and someone called in and and was wanting to know if he could get screened in to the site. He's he was fully employed, but he was not making enough money to stay in the place where he had been living. Mm -hmm. uh, he was struggling to keep paying his bills while living in his car and working. So he really didn't have the kind of uh, stereotypical issues that people associate Doesn't with someone fit the being narrative. homeless. Yet he slipped into that situation, had fallen behind. He was still even paying his bills, but he just couldn't pull things together to be able to get back into housing. And that happens to a lot of people. Um, there's a relatively large percentage of people who are homeless who are employed. Well, I was just uh, sneakily looking at my calculator here. Like, if you make $15 an hour and you work 40 hours a week, that's $2,400 a month. And, I mean, that's with full employment and no sick days and no vacation. And how how are you going to pay $1,500, $1,600 a month in rent and still have enough money to eat and pay your phone bill. Yeah. I mean, God forbid you have a car and car insurance, right? Like, I don't think we... And what has changed a lot over the last couple of decades is I remember when I was younger and didn't have a whole lot of resources and I could pretty easily go find somewhere like a, you know, small, very small apartment or studio right. to rent. I 
back in those days, not every rental unit was being managed by an by a large corporation. Corporation, so true. And not everybody had to show proof that you made three times yes. the amount of the rent every month. So even if you take your twenty four hundred dollars a month and dedicate it to housing, you won't qualify right for a rental. Like, yeah. and your credit better be good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's a I didn't real tightrope. Yeah. So. So, okay, back to keeping our humanity. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little smack here. I hope everyone will forgive me. But, you know, there have been a, a variety of situations that have come up, and, like, the Internet sort of lights up when these things happen. Um, there was a group, uh, I haven't heard a lot about them recently, um, uh, Safe Tacoma, is that Tacoma right? Safe. Tacoma Safe. And, you know, it's a trend that seems to be happening uh I guess I should have already said, like, Tacoma's not alone here. We're we're having this problem. Uh, Olympia's having this problem. Salem, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, every city on the West Coast having this problem. Large cities, small cities, we are not alone. And, and I feel like the rhetoric is like, Tacoma's going downhill. It's turning into—I'm going to do an impression of, like, my uh, direct messages on Instagram. It's a garbage heap. Like, we've let these people take over. You know, I am a business owner. I can't handle this anymore. And by the way, uh, also a business owner, very sympathetic. Like, no one deserves to have, you know— human feces in the door going into business every day or no one deserves to have an unsafe workplace to have your windows broken all the time that is absolute bs though not necessarily connected to homelessness and so you know we have the pandemic has made crime rates go up in every city in america we have all of these sort of confluence of lack of affordable housing increase in crime like increase in homelessness and i feel like the blame is going to people that live on the street and not, oh, we have a systemic issue. Oh, we are underfunding services. Oh, we have extreme wealth inequality. Oh, my watch. <laughs> Even Siri here. agrees. Siri is pre- you're preaching <laughs> to the choir. So, I mean, we have all of these. We have this rhetoric that is it's it's frightening. And, and it, it leads to this idea that what we don't what we don't instead of focusing on how do we house people? How do we get services? How do we get people back on their feet? The conversation is how do we get resources into policing these individuals, clearing the camps, even though they have nowhere else to go, incarcerating people like people in Seattle. were talking about let's just open up McNeil Island and put every single homeless person in Seattle on McNeil Island like Bat shit crazy stuff. I know you shouldn't say crazy. Bat shit stuff. Like, so what do we do with this rhetoric? I'm not sure. I get very, uh, as you can hear, like I get very wound up when the, when, the, when the tone goes to this place. And I get very afraid because I feel like this is going to usher in fascism. Like this is going yeah. to usher in, usher in a police state. And the, the door, the crack in the door is I don't like looking at homeless people. Right. I don't look like like looking at people living on the street. So just make it go away. What do you what do you see? What do you hear? Am I exaggerating the rhetoric? Am I no, tuning that, into the wrong voices? <laughs> I, I try not to wallow in that rhetoric too much. Uh, it's definitely out there, though. I mean, all you have to do is go on. Well, you can see it on Facebook. On um, Twitter. You can see it on Twitter. Heaven forbid if you visit next door. Oh, I try not to. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you can go further down the rabbit hole from there. So yeah. um, I I think it's – I understand people's frustration. Yeah. And nobody feels comfortable and none of us should be comfortable with somebody living right. on the street. This should be uncomfortable. Yeah, it should be uncomfortable and we should solve the dang thing. Mm. Um, but 
we do have to remind ourselves about the humanity of the situation and that, you know, like you said, um, sweeping people from one place with no real option that they're going to utilize to go to another place means they just move a block. There's a, there's a, a small encampment uh, near uh, 2nd and Tacoma Avenue that's going to actually get cleaned up tomorrow. Mm. And the same folks who live there lived a block up the street two months ago when they were swept from that site. I was just so talking I'm, with a client that yeah. lives on the hillside above UWT, kind of near Yakima. Yeah. And she said that when they swept under the freeway uh, down by Hope Furnishings, yep, they, they, she said they just moved in next door. Yeah. So we're moving the problem from one neighborhood to another, from one street to another. Well, and I'm saying we're moving the problem, but we're moving our problem. Yeah. We're moving like the consequences of our systemic decisions. Like, and, it, and it's costly to move people around when besides the, the human actual, cost, there's a human cost. Yeah, yeah. There's that trauma and re-traumatization that happens with people where they lose things. I mean, homelessness really is the process is appealing away of the things that we're all used to. You lose yeah. your housing. You live in your car. You lose your car. You're in a tent. You lose your tent. Now you're in a doorway, and um, and all the dignity that goes with that. Right. Having a safe, having regular meals, having a safe place to go to the bathroom, having a safe place to sleep. Yeah. Like it, it, it just no matter what you might have done, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what you might be addicted to, no matter what, like whatever the worst case scenario someone is imagining for the people that are living on their street, no one deserves it. Right. We should have and making them move the block over doesn't, doesn't solve, solve anything. anything. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I asked this already. I'm going to ask it again. <laughs> like as an individual, what are some things I should keep in mind and what are some things I should do? And then as a citizen, as a, a person in the community supporting policy, what are the policies I should support? And then yeah. anything I should avoid? Is there anything I should avoid saying? Is there any policy I should avoid supporting? So it's like four questions um, so, in yeah, one. I Get know, it, Rob. <laughs> I know. In in terms of of what can an individual do? I mean, just be human. Say hi. Um, and I think I said this six years ago when we talked about a similar topic. Um, you can recognize it's cold outside. Maybe somebody would like a hand warmer. Right. Or. Or even during a cold spell, handing a bottle of water to somebody mm -hmm. can just be a a quick human connection. Um, and acknowledge that the person exists, and if you have the capacity to help in you know in a more um, deeper way, then then you could ask what if there's anything they could use. Sometimes people will say, "Yeah, I'd love to have a sandwich." Yeah, <laughs> something yeah. as simple as that. Well, um, and there there are organizations in town from the rescue mission to mutual aid to the people's assembly, yes. right? Where they're you can and Venmo or cash the app them money, yeah. and they're just going to put it yeah. right into sandwiches. They're yeah. going to put it right into hand warmers, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And so. that especially happens in a coordinated way when there's something like a cold weather event, and yeah. and so boxes of hand warmers are going out. I, you know, I have friends and colleagues who literally carry around things in yeah. their car and they yeah. go out and visit encampments um, just as individuals to help people and they develop a relationship with people there. So That's it might be like you sort of ladder up to, like maybe yeah. you start with dropping some things yeah. off and then as you develop more comfort, yeah. you can do more. The, the simplest is to find organizations that are doing this work and 
donate to them. them, support them. Yeah, and that donation could be financial. It could be um, clothing or, you know, a box of hand warmers. It could be just posting on your social channel like, hey, yep. I'm rounding up funds. Whatever you've got, I'm yep. going to take it down there. Like, send me some money and get your group. If you don't have it, get the people you know to. Yeah. And then in terms of uh, policy, so I think it's uh, if you have the heart to do it and the time to do it, advocating at the city and, and uh, county level for funding for extremely low-income housing. How do people know when these conversations are happening? How do, I feel like it can be a little impenetrable if you're not a, yeah. a nerd. No offense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> none, none taken. Um, so a very nerdy way to do it is to uh, – so there's, there's a group that I mentioned earlier, the Tacoma Pierce County Coalition in Homelessness. It holds – a meeting every Friday morning okay. from 9 to 11 a.m. And the you can register through a website. It's at pchomeless.org. Register and come to the meeting and start learning about homelessness. And they'll send you updates and let you yeah. know when the conversation's yeah. happening. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that, that website, pchomeless.org, uh, also has links to different resources if you're trying to work one-on-one -on -one with somebody to try to find them the resources that they need. Um, and you can see uh, where uh, Comprehensive Life Resources is doing outreach this week. You can see where the different shelters are located and what's currently available. Um, so there are ways to slowly learn and get involved that way. And that's probably the easiest avenue to then figure out, okay, this is the week where it makes sense to show up at right. community forum right. at the city council and talk about homelessness. Actually, this is actually another great plug for Channel 253 because these kinds of conversations always come up on the Slack channel. Like, hey, we could use some support in the Zoom tonight, everybody. Like, come and speak up. Yeah. So that's another, yeah. just a little plug. Yep. Just a little tiny plug. So advocating for policies, though, like the Home in Tacoma effort that's going on in Tacoma. All right. Okay. You said it first. <laughs> Rob, what if you want to support... Uh, homeless folks having housing, but you don't want another house to be built in Proctor as long as you live. How do we reconcile that? How you, do we reconcile? Okay, so, <laughs> uh, so what you're saying is Home in Tacoma, just to explain what it is, it is, um, well, right now, the plan that they have kind of passed is a much watered down from the original proposed plan. Right. But the idea is to bring more density, more apartments and more missing middle housing to the residential neighborhoods around downtown. So um, it, it's there, the, the plan that's been proposed that hopefully goes all the way and we are able to start constructing homes. Obviously, this is going to take years. Lots of time. Um, yeah, it's it's not it, it shouldn't be too disruptive to the current status quo. But what they had been talking about was, you know, a lot more housing. Enough right. housing to make up for our 15,000 missing units, enough housing to house the future people coming to the Puget Sound area. And Home in Tacoma didn't quite get us there. And why didn't Home in Tacoma get us there? Like, what what do you see? I mean, as a North End resident, yeah. like, what do you see as the opposition? What 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 do you understand as the reason for the resistance? I, a lot of the resistance is just built into that, that very common human feeling that we don't like change, and I like my neighborhood the way it is now. But your neighborhood the way it is now wasn't that way 20 years ago. Yeah. It So development does happen. Infill development happens. And the system that we live in now, we've inherited, 
Um, it includes the impacts of redlining. Yeah. Uh, it includes a lot of systemic racism elements. Yep. And without that has to be changed if we're really going to be make space for everyone in our community. And we we're not going to build enough single family homes to accommodate everybody or end homelessness without every square inch of developable land between here and Mexico right. <laughs> being occupied. Right. So, and that's not good for any of us either because we want to have parks and open space. And We'd all like those to be able to grow things. food. <laughs> yeah. I mean, selfish things like that. Um, yeah. Sorry. My brain just like thinking about, I was, what I was, my, my head went to the public comment when Home in Tacoma came on and it was very explicit. You know, Tacoma, like every city in America, has a history of redlining, steering, systemic racism, built the city. The difference between North Tacoma and South Tacoma divided by 6th Avenue, which was the historic dividing line, you know, like North Tacoma was whites only until 1968. And open housing, which was the attempt to have some fair housing that wasn't federal in Tacoma, failed in the 50s. And to this day, you know, the outcomes for people on the east side, as we mentioned earlier, you live 20 20 years less than people in the north end. So you have this, and I'm not real. I have to be kind of careful. Realtors aren't supposed to talk about the racial composition of neighborhoods. This is publicly available information. But like, you know, the North End is still 87 percent white. And to have the 87 percent white neighborhood of the city fiercely advocating with lots of money, with excuse me, terrifying campaigns, you know, of what is going to happen to our neighborhood if we let those people in. And then to see in the public comments of Home in Tacoma, you know, Racially, I think it was like racially ethnic people will never be able to afford to live in, I think it was Northeast Tacoma. Yeah. You know, like the tenants and renters, you know, they just, that that's not what kind of neighborhood this is. This is a family neighborhood. Those people. Those people, right? And these, I mean, and I think what is such a, a frustration is that I think there are people, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to other anybody. I, I know I'm getting a little wound up, but like there are people that truly want to help people living on the street in Tacoma that do not want to see this situation continue from a place of compassion, not from a place of this is irritating to me. And they don't see the connection between the fact that their home in Proctor has doubled in value in seven years and the increasing number of people sleeping on the street. They don't see the connection. They don't think it's real. So how do you, I mean, first of all, that's the connection that I see. Do you see that connection? Definitely. And there's been studies done nationally that show that's the situation. Um, We just live in a system where property values continue to rise historically and those who have have and those who don't don't and and those who have protect so if by restricting the supply of housing in the city of tacoma you can ensure that your most important investment doubles every six or seven years you know well, I guess other people just aren't as lucky as me or whatever, right? Like yeah. you're going to protect that. And to add more housing, to have the abundant housing that we were talking about earlier, that could impact the rate of appreciation of your home. Right. So we're asking people, because the system is set up to really screw us, we're asking people to work against their best interest. That's a tough sell. But again, you see what ha- what's happening alongside the streets in Tacoma. And yeah. you have to be able to connect those two in your head and realize my – if you are that North End resident or, or property owner somewhere mm-hmm. who's benefiting from that appreciating value, the direct impact is the fact that people have to live alongside the street. 
because they can't afford housing. I remember a few years ago, uh, Nate Bowling on the Nerd Farmer podcast was talking about like when you go on vacation in Mexico or somewhere and you see a neighborhood that, where they have broken pieces of glass on fences all around the neighborhood, like that's what's in store for us. Like if you want to live in the kind of community where things are open and ungated and, you know, your neighbors all have a place to live and like you're, you're not experiencing violence from people who are completely desperate there has to be more opportunity. Yeah, it benefits everyone. Yeah. yeah. What kind of world do we want to live in? Yeah. Well, Rob, I'm not really sure how to wrap this up. You're a communications professor, <laughs> professional. <laughs> like, what what note should we leave this on? Like, what should people be thinking about? Well, so to be somewhat hopeful, I, I think um, there are opportunities to beyond home in Tacoma to mm -hmm. advocate for solutions that will benefit everyone in the community. Um, there are opportunities to advocate to the Pierce County Council to, to step into this role that they seem to be willing to do now to create um, more of a regional approach, at least countywide approach, to trying to solve homelessness mm. and solve these issues on a broader scale, create enough shelter so that People don't need to live in front of your house on the sidewalk. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really in everybody's best interest to advocate for that so that um, we can create a better community for everyone. So support Home in Tacoma and other zoning changes that offer more housing for yeah. all. Um, support the Pierce County Comprehensive Co Plan to End Homelessness. Comprehensive Plan to End Homelessness. PCHomeless.org? PCHomeless.org is the website for the Tacoma Pierce County Coalition to End Homelessness. And uh, you're right. I mean, this issue of homelessness is really on fire in Tacoma right now and across the county. Um, there's also the the effort that Evelyn Lopez has started up the Compassion Tacoma. Yes, and you can follow for, Compassion Tacoma on Twitter, yeah. on Facebook, or on Instagram. Yep. So there's plenty of opportunities to engage and learn and actually, we can all work together to try to solve this issue. Uh, I, I like what you just said about, like, kind of keeping hope because I, I have a tendency to just be like, no to fascism. This is bad. You know, like, how do what is your advice for sort of keeping hope, like in these conversations um, that get heated in these interactions that are sometimes unpleasant? Like, what is your advice? Yeah. Um, to me, it almost even goes back to thinking about what we've all lived through in the last two years with yeah. the pandemic, where yeah. um, if there's one lesson we've, we should have learned is to kind of give each other a little grace, a little bit of space. Don't think everybody's approaching things from the worst perspective. Yeah. And um, try to work together to, to find solutions that are productive and Try to avoid getting into that heated conversation. Yeah. And if you do, step back. Uh, if you have to, disengage for a while. But really try to find what are some positive things that we can do to actually impact the situation. Keep moving it forward. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on and for being willing to talk about all these things, Rob. And uh, good luck on your last couple runs. Are you going to have like a parade waiting for you for your final street? You're so that kind of personality. No, yeah. You're such no. an extrovert. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I don't think I will be doing much to celebrate. And I've had folks asking me what I want to do next. But mm. um, 
You know, I should, before we end, mention that there's another person who is uh, also running every street in Tacoma. Oh, really? A competitor? Uh, yes. A collaborator? And he and I have been going back and forth on who's in the lead of doing this. What's his name? So, is it okay to say? Yeah, his his first name's Ethan. I'll just say okay. that. Okay. And um, I think one thing I'll do to celebrate is see if he and I can go have a beer somewhere. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, if somebody wanted to see your map, I'm, I'll get the map from you and include it in the, in the show notes, but uh, where can someone see your progress? Uh, probably the easiest thing is just to find my Facebook. Okay. And uh, I've posted it there more frequently than I probably should. <laughs> All right. Rob Huff on Facebook. <laughs> yep. Thanks so much for coming. You bet. Want to learn more about life in Tacoma? Visit movetotacoma.com. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. I didn't used to have to do these, and I keep forgetting, so I'm just kissing Doug's butt today. Move to Tacoma is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, We Art Tacoma, Flounder's B Team, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.